Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello and welcome to What's Your Beef? I'm Jane Cudahy. Fast Ed Halmaji is one of Australia's best-loved TV chefs and food authors. He's also the newest member of the team for Beef Australia's Celebrity Chef program. For nearly 20 years, Ed has appeared on and hosted a variety of television and radio programs, in addition to writing for newspapers and magazines, books and websites, and appearing at events in every corner of Australia. His reputation for transforming elegant restaurant cuisine into recipes anyone can prepare at home means he's able to showcase beef at every opportunity. Best known as the cooking presenter on Network 7's multi-award winning Better Homes and Gardens, Ed's motto is simple – when you do less, the ingredients can do more. Thanks so much for joining us, Ed. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Oh, well, I have to say, I did ask you a question just off off our interview before, but I want to ask you again because um, I was overthinking the pronunciation of your name and then you gave me quite an interesting answer. So how, how do we actually pronounce your name? How am I going to cope when you keep breaking down the fourth wall? The audience <laughs> is being invited right in. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Um, so my family background, uh, we're a Hungarian uh, Jewish family. Um, my family came to Australia in 1958 after a brief two-year stint in a refugee camp in Europe. Um, it was a bit, bit of a kerfuffle in Hungary in 56. If, if you sort of had asked that question in Budapest, which is the capital of Hungary, the answer would be Halnagy. Um, if you ask the question right down in the depths of the Carpathian Mountains, uh, it's actually now these days uh, Romania, where we were originally from before the First World War, it'd be Holmacho. Uh, and these days in Australia, it's more like Halmagi. Uh, so I tend to answer to, hey, Ed, what are you doing, mate? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. And now I'm probably just going to call you Ed forever without any other name because, Perfect. well, Perfect. I guess, you know, and with a name such as that, it's how your parents, how your mum pronounces your name is what you revert back to, isn't it? Well, yes and no, keeping in mind that within a family, you very rarely use your own last name. True, um, true. You, you, you tend to be either – if you're not on first-name basis with your own family, something has gone very wrong. Yeah, actually, that's um, not even a conversation for the family. I think you need to get some outside help there. But I guess, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I was aware that you were well, – your parents are from Hungary, and I guess, you know, you feature food from that region in your repertoire quite a lot. So, as often as I can, yeah. Yeah. So how much of a role did food and cooking play in your childhood? Are these your mother's recipes or are these ones that you've researched since? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would love to be able to, you know, Tessa Kiros my way through this and tell you about the the long, languid afternoon spent sitting under an oak tree as I transcribed my (laughs) grandmother's utterings. But let's be honest, she was an extraordinary paediatrician and she was the worst cook I have ever met in my life. Uh, My own mother, who was a computer scientist, um, was not much better in the kitchen, although she would disagree. Yes, Um, that's a a mother's prerogative, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, she she certainly knew how to do that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it wasn't wasn't their natural thing. I mean, for me, I was was a very unsettled kid uh, through high school, never really kind of found my groove. I ended up working in kitchens because – I had to get a job that was made very clear to me in order to try and settle me down. And 
kitchens were just the perfect place. Um, it had the high level of manic energy during service that I craved in life. But at the same time, it was a, a place, at least if you work in, in a good spot, that was dedicated to the idea of doing something really well, even if it's impossible. And discipline too. Oh, in some ways and, and in other ways, absolutely not. I mean, you know, my very first head chef would polish off a six-pack of Carlsberg Elephant beer during each and every service. So I mean lunch and oh, dinner. That oh, that's a yeah, big yeah. day. That's, a, that's 12 Elephant beers a day, every day. I mean, that's... That was my my all time introduction to wow. Wow, kitchens so, are interesting. <laughs> so, what do you polish off during service? Then was that a inspired moment, or it's just one of those oh, things? Well, that's eat. an interesting question, of course, because I, in uh, over the years, you know, I I ended up down those particular rabbit holes more than once. Um, although these days, uh, I'm I'm not having had a drink in in years. These days, um, I, I sort of. Um, it's you know as a Jew I can't say my, I had my come to Jesus moment but uh, something similar. <laughs> yeah, well it, it happens, and I guess you know that's that's a, a lot of the same path that quite a few people are taking in terms of health and all of that sort of thing. And I guess food is hand in hand with that whole concept. But um, just before we go on too much more, because you have teamed up with with NH Foods to come up to Beef Australia, and I understand this is your first trip to a beef event. Is that true? Well, first in this capacity, I mean, look, I've certainly been before uh, with my television role uh, and we sort of covered it before. But the idea of coming on board uh, in order to showcase some ideas and tell some stories, yeah, um, I hope you guys will break me in gently. <laughs> no, no such luck up here. They're pretty tough. Oh, just the way uh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you expecting, like from this side, of, you know, from that side of the camera to, to you know, being quite um, a full-on role this time as well? What are you expecting? Well, I guess what my, my main expectation is the opportunity to uh, to help tell some stories as much as anything else. I mean, Beef Australia is an interesting event. It doesn't really have a, a comparable um, equivalent in other fields because not only is it an opportunity to sort of um, help sell Australian beef to domestic and international consumers, not only is it an opportunity for beef producers to learn a lot about their industry and what they could do in order to grow and improve, but it's also about trying to tell some of the narrative content in and around beef that could help both at a retail and at a wholesale level. And, you know, the, the NH Foods brands have some extraordinary stories to tell in that regard, uh, whether you're into uh, pure grass-fed meat, whether you're into uh, grain-finished meat, whether you're wanting to tell an Angus story or a Wagyu story. There are really interesting individual narrative structures that I'm hoping I can contribute to that conversation to help people sell more Australian beef. So you've visited a lot of producers over the years, and I guess with NH, mm. you, you, that's probably even more so. So what fact about beef production has stayed with you and maybe you found a bit surprising? Probably one of the biggest things um, was not too long back, I was visiting the Blake family at Millbank um, there, um, in the New England, yep. uh, and, and they are one of the producers for the Wild Rivers Brand. Now, I know that's not a brand that NH Foods are, are really pushing this year at Beef Australia, uh, but it is part of, the, uh, part of the, the portfolio. And what was really, really amazing is here you have a, a couple of brothers who not only are producing some of the world's very best purebred wagyu. I mean, like, 
extraordinary attention to detail. Um, not only have they developed an entirely new dynamic model of how to structure a farm business so that it can be successful and financially viable across generations in ways that you don't often see people thinking this laterally. But alongside that, they're also producing, they're one of three people on the planet who produce the world's very best wool. And I guess what that tells you is something really interesting. It is a mindset towards excellence that drives greatness. Um, one of my other jobs, I work with the Royal Agricultural Society as, as one of the judges for the President's Medal. It's sort of the award of all awards that's handed out, you know, after the champions and golds and best in shows have been done. We then try to find who's the best of the best of the best. And it's the same thing we, we find all the time, is that the people who end up as finalists there have such an extraordinary commitment towards real, meaningful, long-term success and excellence. And they're, they're unflinching in that. And I, I find that really fascinating. I mean, inter interestingly enough, another of the uh, brands in the NH Foods portfolio, which is Manning Valley Naturally, a, um, a grass-fed operation based out of just west of Taree, mm -hmm. um, who have a real um, Manning Valley-only um, focus in their production. They, the, the quality of the beef is magnificent, but they're really invested in their area. Um, they were a finalist for the President's Medal, um, you know, that, which made them, you know, a couple of years back, one of the half dozen best agricultural businesses in Australia. Mm. You know, and I think that story is worth telling. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you've been using and, and showcasing Australian beef for, for over 20 years in a professional mm. way. Have you seen that sort of excellence or um, increased quality uh, appear across the board? Or is it, you know, do you only really see a few producers doing it really well? Uh, well, the honest answer to that question will upset some people, but you know, that's the thing about honest answers. Not mm. <laughs> generally, don't make everybody. We're not here happy. to make friends, Ed. It's uh, no, 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 we're here to tell a story, <laughs> and that's the thing. You know? yeah. But but the, the point, quite literally, is that if you want excellence to happen, you have to speak truth to start with. Mm. You cannot get there any other way. You know, the 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 middle, the upper middle to top level of Australian production is phenomenal. And I don't care whether you're talking about beef or lamb or goat or wheat or, you know, wine production. It doesn't matter. You know, when, when Australia does things well, we do things really, really well, punching well and truly above our weight, as mm. it were. Um, in the beef world, I think it's it's been maybe a little bit more... Um, a bit more progressive and part of the reason for that is that there's been such a demand internationally for Australian beef and it's driven the price up and that has in turn enabled capital injections both at local and at corporate levels into farming operations in order to enable better quality production which yields a better price at the sale yard. So mm. it, you know it, it is a, a, a cyclonic effect that sort of you know, brings everything along with it. You know, there's, that's a lot to be celebrated. But the flip side of that, I don't want us to walk away from it while we are at the same time talking about excellence because there's a lot of very poor quality meat that is both produced and sold in Australia. And the thing that really troubles me is when poor quality meat is being sold as if it's good quality meat, assuming that consumers don't know better. And sometimes they don't, but I don't like that kind of... Uh, your bait and switch. Mm, no, absolutely. And that that's 
think there are a few measures coming into place or at least, you know, being pushed by some of our um, industry bodies into that mm. labelling and, and standards and that sort of thing. So hopefully, you know, it may be a long game to play, but um, it's being played. I guess uh, the other thing, I like touching on what you've just been saying, is, is so much of modern farming has to have a social licence. Like there's just no way around it anymore. So how do you take that into consideration when you're choosing ingredients for work, like when you're, you know, showcasing something on one of your programs or in an article? It is vitally important. Doing what I do in television uh, is a wonderful opportunity, but you cannot in any way uh, write off the obligation that goes along with it. Um, I'm just at the moment reading a, uh, a book by a very uh, a very famous um, philosopher by the name of Abraham Herschel, and you know as he says, uh, few may be at fault, but all are responsible. Mm. Um, and whether you're talking about the demands on the Murray Darling uh, water basin, uh, whether you're talking about uh, the long term effects of uh, over fertilization of land, whether you're talking about overstocking, whether you're talking about how farmland is planned. Um, With any of those things, either through our individual actions, through our choice of political interplay, or by the way in which we choose to spend our money um, as a consumer, we are making choices that have political and social actions. So when I'm saying to people, you should go to this town and try this food and stay in this place, for example, I want to be damn sure that the town is actually, you know, do, meeting its obligations of, of um, good citizenship well. I want to make sure that the product in question has been farmed in a way that has not diminished its environment. Um, and I want to make sure that the place where I tell them to go and stay uh, is a place that is able to help celebrate the region rather than diminishing it. So you, you hold it to quite high standards? I have very high standards. I have to. But at the same time, it's it look. It's also a um, you know a, a bit of a balancing act, and I don't pretend for one minute that I'm creating what I call naff naff television. I mean, there's <laughs> there are enough people who are wandering through an orchard going, oh, it's the aroma of fresh peaches that just speaks to me. <laughs> that essence of self that I find nowhere but southern Italy. I'll oh, piss off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Seriously, you go get a get yeah. a get a life. You know. Um, yeah, and do you hold that, like when you're ducking into the supermarket on the way home, if, you know, you need a can of tomatoes or whatever, do you apply those same principles to just your everyday consumerism too? Oh, 100%. Give you an example mm-hmm. that uh, most, anyone listening who has a bit of a foodie bent will probably say to themselves, you what? But <laughs> here's, here's, a, here's, here's an example. Okay, so um, I have a theory that human beings are least adventurous first thing in the morning. They get a little bit around breakfast time, a little bit more adventurous around morning tea, Mm -hmm. more adventurous again at lunchtime. They reach the peak of their adventurousness in their entree for dinner if they're having an entree. It falls off a bit for main course and they back to complete safety net when it comes to dessert. It It is absolutely true. I've been working in the food industry for more than three decades, I can guarantee yeah. this is very, very... That's very a lived limited. experience in this area. 
Yeah, just a little. Yeah. I am I am as guilty as anyone, and that's why I'm happy to acknowledge yeah. this. My breakfast is the same every day. I have mm. some good Australian yogurt, of course. I mean, I, mm. I don't think there is imported yogurt in Australia. It might be a bit from no. and if there was, we don't care about it. So carry well, on. not really. So <laughs> yeah. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a yogurt I you know particularly like that's. Um, uh, made in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I could probably find one that's made closer to Sydney for less food miles, but I haven't found one I like yet. Um, <laughs> Challenge and that's accepted. Like that, mm-hmm. Yeah, but now hold on. That's actually okay. Yeah? yeah, It is okay to say that you have a gastronomic preference for something, which means you're going to incur a few extra food miles. I'm okay with that. Mm. I don't think you have to have to give up the thing you want to eat just in order to meet that. But anyway, I throw some, I make my own muesli, throw a bit of that on there, and then I crack open a tin of SPC tropical fruits in juice. Stop I mean, it. Little really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I buy the four packs. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, well, look, it's a damn good product. That fruit is picked at the peak of its ripeness and preserved at that time. It tastes good. If I go into my local supermarket, Mm -hmm. uh, there are four different brands of these diced fruits you can choose from, right? Um, The supermarket name brand one, if you have a look, it's 100% made in China, right? Yep. Uh, Offers you no provenance of what the fruit is. The fruit is probably grown in China. China Mm. grows enormous Read your labels, people. Read your labels. Right? Um, There's another one which is made in Mexico, right? There's another one that's made in Guatemala. And then there's one that's made in Australia. There is only one that's made in Australia. Really? Now, the one that's made in Australia is 70 cents more dear than the uh, than the Central American ones, and it's about a buck 20 more dear than the Chinese one. And that's a no-brainer for me. Mm. That's a no-brainer. If you really have to argue over 30 cents per pot of diced fruit, go without. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, exactly. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't, I, and I don't want anyone who's you know scraping it together this week to think that I'm being a bit of an ass because no. I'm not. What I'm saying is that if you don't love our fruit growers down in northern Victoria and in Tasmania enough and in the riverlands of South Australia enough to support them, I think you've missed the boat. Yeah. See, I have this – I get on my soapbox about canned tomatoes for the exact same reasons all the time. Um, well, you know, again, there's only, two, there's only two brands canning tomatoes in Australia and we nearly lost one of them just exactly. a few years ago. Exactly. I think So close to losing one. You know? And it's only a matter of time. Like we, I think, you know, with these sort of things, it is people power. And I think, you know, really pushing for our own products that are processed and, and manufactured locally. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Just while we're on the subject of food and, you know, preferences and that sort of thing, I um, don't really know why this is such a burning question. But what, what food habit do people have that, want, that makes you want to cry? Like for me, it's tomato sauce on steak. Like when people do that, I just feel really offended. Can I offer you a word of advice? Yeah. It's not your steak. Mm, true. <laughs> I know, but so much love has gone oh into making so much flavour in that steak. Yeah, but listen, 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 listen. You've got to understand what the food industry is about. We, we, in fact, we were not even in the food industry. I hate it when people say we're in the food industry. That drives me mental. <laughs> we're not. We're in the hospitality industry. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Our job, our only job is to make people happy. Nothing else matters. And if the thing that's going to make your guest or your patron happy is a bit of ketchup on their steak, shut up and give it to them. (laughs) Because to be honest, what do you care? It's not affecting you. You know, that is the thing which so many chefs need to understand. Anytime I run into a situation where, for example, uh, I, I have a very strong belief that the particular sugars you find in beef 
um, or actually more so in lamb, but in, mostly in beef as well, reach their maximal flavour compounds at around medium. That's my that's my belief, and that's after a lot. And I say a lot. I mean, I mean a lot of genuine scientific research. Right? There is a huge amount of reading you can do if you're interested in this area. But the way in which the Maillard reaction uh, uh, breaks down reducing sugars both in the crust and within the meat is very interesting. And so as a result, you can achieve much more dynamic and complex flavours. I have been, in my capacity as me, to restaurants and ordered, for example, a piece of uh, lovely eye fillet beef. And I said, look, can I grab that? I'm going to grab that medium, thanks. And uh, didn't think anything of it. And then I had that experience that I get people you know, complaining to me about all the time. But they usually say, I ordered my steak well done. And the chef said, no, mm. I ordered a steak medium. And the chef at this particular establishment in the eastern suburbs of Sydney came out himself and said, I'm afraid we don't do that steak any more than medium rare. Now, I know this young kid, and he is a kid. He's in his late 20s, and I wish him all the very best of luck. But I did gently explain to him uh, that, you know, with that attitude, he wouldn't last a day in the kitchen I was running because he missed the most important attribute that every chef needs, which is a genuine desire to care for others and to see how you can make them happy. Um, do you have so this argument I, a lot with your with your peers? Yes, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Like maybe you should write a book I, I, about I, I this. I run, in, I run into I run into very 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 high profile chefs mm. who are quite adamant that if their patrons disagree with them, it's because their patrons are uneducated. Isn't the number one and, like rule ever that the customer is always right? No, but the customer isn't always right. But that's not the point. They don't have to be right. That's, this is, I don't understand why it has to be reduced to a right versus wrong argument in the first place. Mm. Can't it simply be that this is what the customer wants? Mm. Yes. You know, why, why does somebody have to win this argument? Why, why is it a zero-sum game? Aren't we both better off for having made the customer happy? Aren't I better off as a, as a business operator and as a chef? Mm. Am I not wealthier... Um, spiritually and probably financially for having genuinely pleased the customer and aren't they better off as well don't we all win so how did to finish that off how what happened to your steak was it was it medium or did he just no. blackout refuse yeah, he, abso- he, he absolutely refused and he, so did you change your option uh, he, he, he in front no this particular young chap in front of in front of uh, my guests mm-hmm. who were, were work guests of mine uh, proceeded to uh hector me about not being condescending when I come to his restaurant. Right. And uh, I, at that, that point, it was really very clear that this is a young kid with some exceptional culinary talent who isn't digging as deeply into the, uh, into the, into the, into the stock pot of generosity as he might. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how did, but how did it end? Did you eat the steak? Like, did it, did you? Just no, go I on had, had a piece of fish instead. What am I going to do? Have an argument with this guy? Not, <laughs> well, that's what like, I was trying to get out. Going, holy dooly, that would have yeah, been something. But that's, for the not, ages. that's not. Yeah, but that's not my. That's not my style. Well, you no, know, I can, well, I wouldn't imagine. It's, um, I, re- I honestly, people like that. I honestly, genuinely wish him all the best, and I hope that you know, through the course of his career, he, in his own way and in his own time, comes to understand this basic principle. I think it's no different to being a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. Your number one job is to take care of someone else. And as soon as you get your head around that, everything's easy. Yeah, well, yeah, you would like to think so. So now I do, you know, you have moved into food photography as well. And that's, you know, yes. same, same, but different to what you're doing um, with cooking and, and that sort of thing. So how did that come about? 
Well, two things. Firstly, uh, it's certainly not same, same, but different. Uh, they are vastly different skill sets. But I've been, I've been doing photography from, you know, like a, a personal and you know, entering photographic competitions perspective for, since I was you know, 13, 14. Um, when I started working for Better Homes and Gardens 19 years ago, I really didn't like the way in which they were photographing my food. Um, I had a real issue with it. Uh, at that stage, I wouldn't say, you know, I really had the skill level that I, I'd need eventually. But what I did have was a truly unwavering uh, determination to learn. And I had access to some of the best food photographers in Australia who were, you know, shooting stuff for me, whether it was cookbooks or commercial campaigns or whatever. And I, you know, the same way I learned to bake, the same way I learned to cook, uh, I was first in, last out every single day. You know, you know, it was me there opening up at quarter to six in the morning and it was me there mopping the floors at seven o'clock at night when everyone was gone. Because if you want to, and I don't care what it is, if you want to learn in this life, you have to put in the time. There's just no other way to do it. And, and when you're working with good people, when they see a genuine expression of interest, you know, which, is, um, which, which is grounded uh, with a personal determination to contribute, uh, that's, when they, that's when they're prepared to help you. Absolutely. Well, that, and that must be when I say same, same, but different. I didn't obviously they're different skill sets. It was more you're still working with food and about that real passionate area of your life, but just in a different way. And I guess it's a different way of expressing, you know, what you do. Yeah, perhaps I am. Um, you're not the first person to make the observation, and I guess the the point I generally come to when I'm chatting with people is that if there's one binding narrative that governs my entire life and everything I've ever done is that all of my jobs, all of my interests, all of my hobbies have always in some way or another been around storytelling. Photography is a form of storytelling. We tell stories with images. Uh, Working on television is a combination of images and words for storytelling. Cookery is storytelling. We We tell stories with ingredients and and you know conversation really the the driving element of how i see the world um is that there has to be a role for these narratives and i want to be part of that yeah fair enough Uh, now i guess everyone that has come on this podcast i've asked them the same question about you know their favorite cut of beef but i'm not going to get you to do that because i feel like that's asking you to pick a favorite child or something but what's the most interesting way that you've seen beef presented Two answers. Okay, the first is the funniest, just because this was one of the best pranks I have ever done in my life. We were, we were cooking in New Zealand for the show at a, a Maori village just near Lake Tarawera uh, in the North Island, and um, we were meant to be doing this hungi uh, with a couple of the local boys. And there's this huge Maori boy, my height and 150 kegs, oh just big boy, and he was the one looking after the, the hungi. And you know. With all due respect to my many Kiwi fans, hungi is disgusting. Uh, it everything smells like wet rags. It's just horrible. Um, so you, you're not going to, you're not trying to shoot for excellence there. So what we did, he had all these pieces of meat, and he's kind of marinating them and seasoning them, whatever. And I thought, oh, what, what can I do? And I turned around to the producer and said, you know what we need? We need to bring something to the to the party. And so I said to Winston, oh, we've got to duck out for a minute, mate. We'll be back to film some more in a moment. 
we raced into town. We found the only butcher that was open. And um, I said, mate, I need a cow. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I need a cow. And he didn't have a cow. He had half a cow. Literally, it'd been bandsawed oh, right down oh, the middle. Goodness. And so we bought, and, and we drive, we were in a hatchback. And half a cow, the half of half a cow is hanging out the back windscreen oh, because we've had to put that up. And then the next part of this story is just me and with my one of my soundos walking uh, this half a half a cow in, saying, "Hey, Winston, something for the the hungry, eh?" And he's looking, he just looks at me, shaking his head. And then as we walk off, he just hears saying under his breath, "Crazy bloody Aussies, eh?" <laughs> <laughs> So, so what happened half to a the... cow in a hungry pit. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. and did, um, did you cook it up? Like, did he do yeah, use it, it or was just? Terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is, you know, I worked in the Solomon Islands when I left uni, and we they've got a similar thing called a motu. And the difference between a motu and a hungry is that they um they build a fire with um with rocks in the bottom, and then they put more rocks on top of the fire, and more rocks, then the food, then more rocks, then more rocks, mm. and so it's not all swaddled in wet hessian. Um, and it's not surrounded by dirt, so it doesn't have that really earthy, slightly dank aroma to it. Um, but if you're talking about the most remarkable way I've seen beef prepared, uh, the most remarkable way would have to be uh, in uh, Mexico, um, and I am desperate to try this here. Um, do you know what papillots are? No, no, that's not... Okay, they're, they're, they're cow's lips. Oh. Um, so as the so they're on the, obviously on the face, and it literally is the rubbery lips. And what they do is they braise them, and then they flash fry them, and they go really crunchy on the outside and really soft in the middle. And they just put them into tacos. Oh my goodness. It's the kind of thing where unless you knew what you were eating, you would just think it's oh this is incredible beef, because obviously it's a muscle, like a Scotch fillet is a muscle, or a or a porterhouse Absolutely. is a muscle. Um, Amazing. It's the same thing I've often done. We, we often end up, or we used to pre-COVID, uh, doing um, uh, cooking demonstrations all over Australia, uh, often in, in giant uh, hardware stores who happen to sponsor our show. Nice. And yep. almost every time, you know what I'd do? I'd make a, a musaman curry, which is classic. It's a beef, a potato musaman. Yeah. But I would use beef heart. Interesting. Beef heart. Yeah. Beef heart, because beef heart is incredible. It's a very dense muscle, and it's quite doesn't quite have the same texture, that fall-apart texture you get with steak, but it's very tasty. And everybody be chomping away on this beef heart, going, oh, wow, what cut is this? Oh, it's, and I just say, oh, it's a bit unusual. Do you like it? Oh. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> and it wouldn't be until the very end when the entire pot is gone that I would say, so for those of you who partook, that was actually beef heart. And the faces would turn green, a few would get up and run for the bathrooms and be like, you know? Wow, instead of just of taking things. it all in as something different and delicious, yeah. let's, let's have a that, panic about that, it. That narrative, which you're going back to, that changes uh, presumption and allows people to think about what they do a little bit differently. Yeah, a couple of years ago, it was kind of my, my go-to there for a while um, because it was a wonderful way of starting a discussion um, about all sorts of things. I mean, you talked about, you know, the the social value of dining. Well, it was a great way of starting a discussion about nose-to-tail eating, about zero-waste cookery, uh, about changing expectations and assumptions. Um, what is offal? What's not offal? I mean, offal is something that's not a muscle. We take this broad perspective of offal that's anything other than prime cuts. That's technically not true. Mm. Offal is anything that's an organ, so brains and livers and kidneys and thyroid glands and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but the heart and the tongue, oh, tongue, oh, love tongue. Beautiful. No, it is. I, did, I have very fond memories, actually, of tongue. So um, right. that one's safe. What are you hoping to serve up at Beef 21? Have you got any idea of, of what you're cooking or thinking about? Well, when it comes to uh, Beef Australia 2021, I'm, I'm going to work with the, uh, two of the, uh, the NH Foods brands. We've got the uh, Nature's Fresh, which is a grass-fed product out of Queensland. Uh, really lovely uh, um, you know, taste of the land kind of beef. Um, and also with the Angus Reserve, which is pro- oh, not probably, it is the best Angus you'll find in Australia. Uh, purebred. Uh, it's, it's one of only a handful of people in the country who actually produce verified black Angus. Um, that means right through its genetics that you can say this is absolutely purebred Angus cattle. Uh, a lot, most of the Angus that you see around the place, I mean, they'll, they're black cows, but uh, they're, not, they're certainly not purebred. Um, as for what to do with them, um, you know, we're recording this a little bit ahead of the event itself. I only just got that information yesterday. I'm hoping to get the cuts uh, in the next couple of days, and then we'll start doing some development and testing. But I guess the big thing for me is whatever we end up doing, it will be about teasing out the innate flavours of the differences between the beef. There's no sense in just doing two great beef dishes. That's utterly pointless, right? Because the reason you have all these different cuts and these different breeds of beef on the table is in order to have a real sense of what differences of flavour can be extracted depending on what part of the steer you use and what its provenance uh, was as well. So I would think probably, look, if I get my druthers, what I'd like to do um, for the Angus Reserve is probably work with either the chuck ribs or alternately see if we can't get some of those puppy oats that I was talking about. Um, That would be kind of interesting, but probably the chuck ribs. And as far as the nature's fresh is concerned, I mean, this is a a USDA processed beef, so it's, it's a very, very rigorously... Um, quality assured beef. It's quite lean. Um, it's got a wonderfully intensely lactic beef flavour because um, you know it hasn't been stalled, it hasn't been grain finished at all. Um, and so, what I would probably choose to do is to go with something that would show uh, a completely different way of thinking about steak. Like, for example, uh, the Karubi plate, which is the bit that sits on top of uh, the ribs. I'm very much thinking about taking some of that and and doing that Korean style where it's paper thin and just um, caramelised on a on a grill. Uh, Sounds that delicious. I, I'm hoping for, but we're, we're just waiting to see. And then you know you won't be upset if anyone drowns it in tomato sauce, though. No. Well, that's you know <laughs> more, more for them, and I reckon they'll get mocked from one side of the room to the other. Yeah, pretty and I don't well. Have to wear that. <laughs> yeah. I, but look, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, Ed, and we look forward to uh, everything that you produce at Beef Twenty One, and we'll see you in Rockhampton in a few months. Well, I look forward to it. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.